Imagine your kids went into a school environment where they were taught what their fundamental needs were to allow them to thrive, you know? Except we have environments that remove their needs, right? We have chairs that they have to sit in for hours. Fundamental need is movement, right? Without movement, we suffer. Then we have, they go to the dinner hall, right? Then they've got food groups that aren't aligned with a biologically normal food group, which means they're going to suffer. Their digestion will suffer. That's three more, yeah? What's the air quality? What's the habitat? What's the environment? Is it connected to nature in any way, you know? So even for our kids, and we're caring parents, but we put them into environments that can be for eight hours a day that aren't enabling them to thrive. He's actually put them in a place of suffering. It's insane. Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee, GP, television presenter, and author of the best-selling books, The Stress Solution and The Four Pillar Plan. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of my Feel Better Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chatterjee and I am your host. So last week you may have noticed that I did not release a podcast. Now this is the first time in five months that I've missed my Wednesday 1pm publication slots. Um, I'm really sorry to those of you who were waiting for it last week. Basically, I've been feeling a little bit overwhelmed and overworked over the past few months and my family and I booked a last-minute holiday. Now, whilst away, my wife and I did consider getting the podcast ready for release, but finally decided against it. We felt that having a week together with ourselves and our family, when we could all switch off, would be much more beneficial for our well-being. So we basically decided not to release one. We've come back feeling a little bit more recharged, but starting to question why, when on holiday, life can feel so relaxed and stress-free, Get when back in our day-to-day lives, it could feel like the polar opposite. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could all bring a little bit of that holiday calm into our day-to-day lives? And this is something I'm certainly going to be reflecting on over the summer and thinking about what changes I can implement into my own life to make this happen. So this week on the podcast, I sit down with natural lifestyle coach, Tony Riddle, who plans to run the whole length of Great Britain, completing 30 miles every day for 30 days, whilst being completely barefoot. He's doing this to show what humans are truly capable of, and what he believes is biologically normal for us. He also plans to raise awareness of sustainability along the way. Tony believes that we are a species that is destined to be innately empowered, wild and connected, Yet our modern lives are removing us from this natural state. For the last 18 years, Tony's whole raison d'etre has been to find ways of living that are more in sync with our human biology in order to allow himself, his family, and his clients to thrive in this modern world. And in this episode, we discuss what he has learned. Tony has no chairs in his house and is mostly barefoot, and he believes that the closer you take people to nature, the better able they are to heal. In our conversation, Tony explains why he has made the decision to get rid of all the chairs in his home, why the squat is so important, 
and why having functioning feet is critical for our overall health. Tony also shares some simple ways that office workers and night shift workers can improve their health whilst at work. And finally, Tony shares some of his top tips that will help us all feel better in our everyday lives. This conversation provides a really fascinating insight into what Tony believes is the true essence of being human. Now, while some would consider his views extreme, I think they are super interesting and challenge our perception of what being normal really means. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now, before we get started, I do need to give a quick shout out to the sponsors of today's episode who are essential in order for me to put out weekly episodes like this one. Athletic Greens continue their long-term support of my podcast. Many of you are well aware that I prefer people to get all of their nutrition from foods, but I do recognize that for some of us, this is not always possible. Many of us are choosing to supplement these days, and if you do, I think you are much better sticking to a supplement that is derived from whole foods. Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I have come across and contains vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. So if you are looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens, which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. Tony, thanks uh, for making the journey up. Welcome to the Feel Better Live More podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks. How was your journey today? Journey was great. Really simple. A lot of sitting down. Do you know what? I moved around a fair bit. I did sit, but you know, we all sit. So it's about what do we do when we get out of the chair, I guess. So, yeah. Well, Tony, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time now. You know, as you know, a big fan of what you're doing, the, the sort of work you're putting out there. I thought that the best place to start would be that you go on Instagram by the name of the natural lifestyleist. Indeed. What is a natural lifestyle? What is a natural lifestyle? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? But, um, for me, it's about rewilding behaviours. So under the guise of the natural lifestyleist, I've, I've managed to get into, well, coaching from students through to millionaires and billionaires, encouraging them to find more natural ways of living in urban environments. So what does that mean? You know, we have ways that we can move, sleep, rest, play, eat, digest with our social tribe as well, community, friends, family, and then even in a spiritual context, there's natural ways of doing things or there's social norms of today, right? So biological norms or social norms, which is a process of rewilding for me. So rewilding to me kind of means that we, I look to the natural beings and natural places of the world to find ways of living that are more in sync with our human biology, you know? So it's stuff that we lose sight of. And we, we have concerns for the environment of today, right? Sustainability. And there's a shocking fact of 60% of the wildlife has, has been removed since, what, 1970s. That's half an adult life. But we're failing to understand that the, the wild humans also are being removed from the planet. And for me, it's a terrifying thing because we have Peter Kahn's term of environmental generational amnesia. 
So every generation that's born, they're born into a new social norm. And if we remove more and more of wildlife and more and more of wild humans and more and more of wild nature, unfortunately, we just see the compromised world of today. And, um, well, you know, you, you were on the train just now. You obviously live in London. Yeah, I'm an urbanite, right? Yeah, so when you look around and you see people... Um, are you able to tell when you look at people around that actually you're not a wild human, you're a modern human, and is that problematic? Well, we're, it's an insult, really, because I used to work with um, a company called Wild Fitness, right? And their thing is turning zoo humans into wild humans, right? And it's an insult calling people zoo humans. That, you know, you're just born into a social norm. So it's not, I'm not a wild human, I'm still an urbanite. But I recognise ways of living that are enable me to thrive in a city rather than survive in the city. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you, so you're not- I, I observe people, and I might look at their posture, and I might look. But really, I, I, there's no judgment there for me anymore. I've, I've kind of worked through that. I used to get frustrated with urban life, and I realised that it, it, there's another rung on the ladder of consciousness to get to a point where you say, oh, "I have compassion or empathy." Rather than, oh, look at these people walking around, look at the state of society, look at this. I don't have that anymore. It's more, oh, here's, look, I get it. They're, they're, they're operating at a certain level. So we just, I kind of pull back a bit and, and rather than judging the situation, just let's, let's try and find ways that are going to help support people, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, you're sort of touching on personal growth there, aren't you? And the, and the more Absolutely. we the more we go down that road, and I know on my, you know, I've spoken about this on this podcast many times before. But the more you go down that route, the more you understand yourself, the more you can change those behaviours, and actually, the less judgmental you become. And when you start to learn and retrain that part of your mind, it's just it's just a more chilled out way of living and being right so you're not looking at people anymore and going god i wish i could sort their posture out you're saying hey of, of course they're going to be like that that's a result of the environment in which they're living um and, and that must have been quite a refreshing perspective for you to take i'm guessing oh yeah absolutely and it's been i guess it's been a really refreshing take for, for my my family and the people around me because my parents would say to katarina you know what's wrong why does tony have to be so extreme in what he's doing she said well he's not being extreme He's just found a li- way of living. And if he wasn't to live it, you'd have to question his integrity and in what he's doing, you know? So, yeah, I f- it's, it's a much nicer position to operate at. But again, just being. So rather than it be my ego that says, oh, this is a really great position to be in, aren't I this? It's just, again, it's this understanding, I guess, the closer you can get to having your physical, social, spiritual needs met, the closer you are to being more human, the more you can be on those magic numbers of compassion, again, empathy. You know, it's just, I guess, again, it's for me, it's always just been about being my own guinea pig in a way. So being the example. So rather than even preaching or telling people this is what you should be doing, it was to be an example because I had gone down the path of I had all the knowledge, you know, I had all the research and I was in a gym that I owned in West Hampstead. And I'm standing in my, and there was, it was a boxing club, 1950s boxing club, but we had a natural lifestyle philosophy behind it, working with wild fitness. And so these personal trainers are coming to see me and they're all standing in the, in the gym space. And I'm standing in the boxing ring of great places to be holding a presentation from. And I'm, I'm preaching. I'm saying, these are the ways that we should be living. You know, this is a natural lifestyle, how we sleep, eat, play, move, everything else, right? Social and spiritual needs. If you, and if you don't have those needs, you're a human in suffering. And yet, there I was, I wasn't sleeping, you know, my food was out because I was still having to use pacifiers for the stress I was in, in the environment I was in. So I had all this amazing knowledge, I just wasn't living it. And so in that moment of recognition of me talking to these 
the real the room filled filled with personal trains. This tube train just blasted past the doors. It was in an old railway building, and the tube blasted past, and it shook the building. And in that moment, I had this: "Oh my god! Like you're a fraud. Here you are, espousing this amazing lifestyle, and you're not living it." So that was it for me. That I I, I closed the gym, and I and I went bankrupt, and I just we lost everything in that moment. But it was the best thing that ever happened because it was an opportunity to me to look at myself and my behaviors and then go through the philosophy and heal myself in that process so it wasn't then about i wasn't being socially extreme again i was just trying to find ways of living that more biologically normal things that are enabling me to thrive because previously i was just surviving and who wants to just survive right it's like yeah there's a few things out that really strike a chord with me the, the first one is that you seem to you, you seem to have been on this journey to find the life, that the lifestyle that actually resonates with you, yeah. not for anyone else, not for, you know, Joe across the street, but for Tony Riddle, actually, what is a lifestyle that I want to live that's going to help, that's going to make me feel whole? Um, and, and that's, I think, quite inspiring for people because no matter what journey, you know, anyone listening to this is on, I think it is about trying to find your own journey, finding out what works for you. And uh, you obviously went to, you know, quite an extreme case of actually shutting down, going bankrupt, all that sort of stuff to find what works for you, which I think is something we can all learn from. Um, you said that phrase, a human in suffering. Yeah. And that really struck me. So, you know, I'm currently a GP. I've worked in specialist fields before, but I've been seeing patients for almost 20 years now as a doctor. And I've never heard that term, a human being in suffering. But I guess that's what I see day in, day out, walking into my practice as a GP, are people in suffering? Now, I've never thought about it like that, but you know, whether someone is coming in and they're struggling with their weight or with their mental health or they've got migraines or whatever it is they're coming in, they're coming in with, on some level, they are suffering. They're a human being in suffering, hence they're coming to me yeah. to provide some insight and, and some guidance. To help remove the suffering. Yeah. And yeah. so suffering can mean anything, can't it? It doesn't have it's to be... It's just a symptom. It's just a symptom. And it's a symptom of the environment and the habitat. And that can be the habits within the habitat or the learnt habits within the habitat, right? Which yeah. goes into epigenetics again, right? The environment, isn't it? Yeah. So what uh, are my behaviours in there allowing me to suffer, you know? Yeah. And how do I find ways of healing that? And again, I found that the closer I could take people to nature, the more I can heal them. So I've been privy to some incredible lifestyles, right? I've been flown around by private jet, just incredible stuff. And it doesn't matter where people perceive they are on the monetary slide of success, if their needs aren't met, they're suffering just the same. In fact, some of them are even more unhappy, right? So how does that work out? So then I realized that it almost doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're still suffering, you're still unhappy, right? Okay. So then this old saying of uh, money can't buy you happiness, I, I, I'm not, it's not so true. It's just knowing what to spend your money on, not what you may want, but understanding what your needs are. And this could come into, and imagine an educational model with kids. We have kids, right? Imagine your kids went into a school environment where they were taught what their fundamental needs were to allow them to thrive, you know, except we have environments that remove their needs, right? We have chairs that they have to sit in for hours. Fundamental need is movement, right? Without movement, we suffer. 
Then we have, they go to the dinner hall, right? Then they've got food groups that aren't aligned with a biologically normal food group, which means they're going to suffer. Their digestion will suffer. That's three more, yeah? What's the air quality? What's the habitat? What's the environment? Is it connected to nature in any way, you know? So even for our kids, and we're caring parents, but we put them into environments that can be for eight hours a day that aren't enabling them to thrive. He's actually put them in a place of suffering. It's insane. When you view it that way, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not detecting an, even an ounce of judgment in the way Again, you're saying not. that. It's, but, just, but, it's, but, it's just an observation, right? Of, and I think it's important to say that because I think when we talk about parenting, when we talk about um, our children going to school, you know, a lot of people can get quite defensive about that because obviously every parent, I think, is trying to do the best that they can for their child based upon what they know, based upon their That's environment. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Right. Um, and, and I want to explore how you have actually gone on that journey to change your environments. But for those people who don't know um, and have not followed Tony on Instagram or, or on Facebook or wherever and seen some of the stuff that he does, a lot of people would perceive what you do as biologically extreme. Um, so, for instance it's my understanding that you don't have any chairs in your house. Yep. Right. Now, I love that. We'll, we'll talk about <laughs> why I love that and, and how I'm struggling to get that through in my own house. Um, but let's, let's just let's explore that. I think that's a really sort of specific point we can look at now and showcase to people what you're talking about. So why do you have no chairs in your house? Um, just because I want to raise as many social extreme eyebrows as possible. No. Um, <laughs> Again, we are a species destined to be innately empowered, wild, and connected, right? And the way that comes around is that we have this amazing physicality, social and spiritual self. And when you understand the physical self, again, one of those fundamental physical needs is movement and play, okay? So... um I used to own a Pilates studio, and so I thought that was on the rung of the ladder of movement. And most of the people that come and see me, it was really symptom relief. You know, trying to reconfigure a posture that was basically compromised by modern life. And, and it's the modern part of life, which is a sedentary lifestyle. Now, 83% of the UK are living in urban environments. We're spending 90% of our time indoors. What are we doing in that time indoors? Most of it's sitting, right? So if we're sitting in one posture... And I have a Pilates studio that's designed for symptom relief. Why keep dealing with the symptom? Why not go to the cause, which is the chair? And then if I look to nature for the perfect example, because I look to the natural world and the natural beings of the world for the solution, because again, we can only look to nature for a natural condition, right? So I can do that through sleep, rest, play, whatever it is. In this case, it's right. Look at the chair. Does a chair exist in nature? No. And then we look at Ah, okay, there's studies that show there's a hundred different rest positions on the ground. So if we then look at there's a hundred different rest positions on the ground, once you understand them, you can see that they're little micro nutrients of the macro skill of actually standing up. Right. So so beneath all that standing, the upright posture, let's say so you've got you have kids, right? So we observed our kids. I because I have a movement background, I was just obsessed and recording bit by bit by bit by bit of their movement, which is their motor skill milestones, how they unravel. So they have various different rest positions on the ground that enable them to become upright beings, right? None of that involves a chair, but they manage to get completely upright. They have the best postures ever, right? Up until the age of six, seven, you don't have to, why do you, you don't have to go to physios or Pilates. You just have incredible physiology. And you can jump, run, lift, carry. You can do all these things that we, we're having to relearn and reconnect with. They already have it. 
So for me, I had to remove the chair because I had to be the best example for my kids. So if I'm sitting, my kids are going to want to sit. I can't say to them, no, you're not allowed on the chairs. You have to keep unraveling all these hundred different rest positions. So partly it was to be the best example of a human being for my kids to observe the behaviors. But mostly it's just every one of those rest positions helps feed and nourish an amazing physiology that then the macro skills can come from walking, from running, through jumping, through lifting, through carrying, through throwing, de defending, swimming. All of those things, the hierarchy within them is the posture. And the micronutrient or element of that macro skill of the posture is all the ground rest positions. Unfortunately, when we sit, it's detrimental to the posture because we get locked in the hips, locked in the ankle. We turn, revert back into a very old primal pattern if you believe in evolution like 35 million evolutions we're a c-shaped primate so when we sit down we then start to take on the c-shaped spine of the primate it's very quick and then if you start to then put a pad in front of you or, or a computer in front of you or a screen in front of you you adopt even more of a c-shape which we call slumping but really it's just taking adopting a very ancient spinal position then when you stand from that of course the head position is totally out it's forward of the base of support which means then when I simply walk or I run or any of those things, it means I have to keep striding further and further out because otherwise I'd fall over if the foot wasn't there. So it's just it's just understanding that the ground rest positions is nature's cure really for a lot of the ills that I see within people's posture or within their physiology. Yeah. So there's joints that primarily should be offering uh, mobility, some that offer stability, the pelvis should be offering stability, and the thoracal spine should be offering mobility. When we sit down in a chair, it defies all of that. But when you upload the rest positions on the ground, like simple things like kneeling I'm doing now up on a chair, this is a single leg kneel, but it's the single leg squat just the same. Yeah. It nourishes the ankle, stabilizes the knee, mobilizes the hips, and then I can build my posture above it. So yeah. it's opening up the locomotive um, joints, and then allowing the muscles and the tendons within that system to understand their role, which then we can become more efficient, minimize the risk of injury. And aesthetics, we just have a system that understands its role. Therefore, I'm going to be physically stronger and look physically stronger and more empowered because my posture's aligned, you know? Yeah, no, it's incredible. I'm a, I'm a complete subscriber um, to your philosophy. I... You know, people may have seen about a year ago, I posted on Instagram and you did as well. I, I had a long session with you um, where you, we worked a lot on ankle mobility and some yeah. of these squat positions. And I was really good for a few months, was diligently every every morning start on the day as part of my morning routine with at least 15, 20 minutes of work on my ankles. And it sort of slipped a bit of the last few months. Um, but a few things I really want to touch on. So the squat, yeah. you know, you're, you're a big proponent of the squat and... It is interesting for anyone with kids, if you watch your children squat, they, they've just got the most beautiful, perfect squat. And they it's can fluid, do, isn't it? It's fluid. They're not thinking about it. No. They're not trying to squat. And um, it's something I've really been talking to my kids about a lot. It's one of those things where I've always said that parents, well, what I've learned in, what, nine years being a parent now, and again, I'm learning all the time, but I, I've learned that actually kids seem to do what they see you do, not what you tell them to do. Oh, yeah, they learn for observation yes. more than anything vocal. 100%. Yeah. So if, you know, for example, if you're trying to encourage your children to have a healthy diet, I would say to parents, well, the first step is actually to make sure you're having one yourself and your kids can see that because if you're going to eat something particular that's not healthy and then you're saying, no, you have to eat this way, you know, you may have the best intentions, but I think it's going to be very short-sighted in terms of how 
you know what you know what results you get from that same with screen time if you're always on your screen in front of your children and you want them to reduce their screen time it's going to be very challenging well, you're a hypocrite yeah do you know what i mean that's 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 underneath it really underneath it they're just going to see that and go no well daddy's yeah. always on his screen so i'm going to be always on my screen sort of thing and i guess you're taking it further to movement so here's a problem that i see so kids are able to squat beautifully mm. um but at some point, and it seems like for you, you're saying it happens after the age of six, they start to unlearn that pattern, that basic pattern, maybe being in chairs all day at school, there you go. slumped yeah. over books, all this kind of stuff. And I remember as a kid, right? So my parents are Indian immigrants. They came, my dad came here in the early 1960s. And um, every other summer, I used to go with my brother and my parents to India. And we'd spend the summer in Calcutta. And I remember in my, well, in both the houses I stayed in, in my mum's house, my dad's house, um, there was always help in the kitchen. And I remember the, the I can just a vivid um, imprint in my head of one of the helpers in her sari just literally squatting all day, cutting vegetables. Not, you know, not having to move out of position, just literally squatting next to this sort of big curved knife and just, just cutting veg all day because it's a natural resting position. Whereas if I try to do that, and I have tried to do that in my kitchen, I get to about five, six minutes and... I'm really feeling it. Yeah. And so if a adult, if a parent listening to this goes, okay, that's great, right? I want to model this behavior for my children. Here's the problem. So many of us, like myself, have forgotten, our bodies have unlearned how to do a squat. So we actually are unable to do a squat properly. So we can't model that right behavior. So what should we do then? Yeah, again, we going back to, we have forgotten. It goes back into Peter Kahn. You know, it's like this environmental generational amnesia. And it's about templates, right? So you're lucky enough, you've had a template, you've at least someone seen someone squatting. I see people that actually have no template for what a squat might look like in the first place. You know, so it's, it's stripping it right back to that. Um, what can they do? Um, well, to start with, just simply trying to squat with your heel up is the first example. You know, you can hold the edge of a table, just keep your chest up and then just squat slowly down so you're, you allow the heel to come up because most of it is that we're locked in the ankle, believe it or not. It's that, it's that, it's that joint really that's being compromised. And then the next stage would be a thick book. Put a book underneath your heel and then squat down. So rather than having your heel off the ground, you then put a support behind it. And then over time, this then you minimize it and minimize it and minimize it until it ends up at ground level. Because ultimately you want to get to the point where your squat actually feels like a rest position, not an exercise. Yeah, we see squatting as an exercise and the way exercise physiology and bodybuilding messed up the resting squat because people were told you shouldn't squat with your knees beyond your knees, your knees beyond your toes, and you shouldn't let your hips drop in it any lower than your knees. Well, how is it that in natural cultures and beings of the world, they've all be, they would be destroyed of injuries. None of us would be here today, right? Because we'd all be injured, right? Yeah. So that, once you have to have a first of all, a template, I guess, to understand what a squat looks like. So research flat-footed squatting or squatting naturally or natural cultures squatting or something get a template, get a, an image of what it looks like first. And then you know, ah, that's what, I, otherwise you're, you're subconsciously incompetent. You're not going to understand what it is you're trying to achieve in the first place. And then just put little supports in one behind your heel. If you're still struggling, use an anterior support, like a door handle, make sure the door's closed, um, or a banister rail or uh, yeah, a chair, the back of a chair or something that will enable you not to fall backwards. Yeah. And then allow the heel to pop up and then play around with lowering the heel. And you can do that by holding something and lowering the heel back or by popping a support behind it. 
But you, you have taught many people, myself included, some of these techniques. And I think you've, do you have an online program? Yeah, I have people... an, there's an online squat tutorial there. I'll send, I'll give you a link to that for your yeah. listeners. Um, yeah, I'll, 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 put it, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll which... put a little discount code up for them as well. How's that? Um, and that's a six week tutorial. And it's only the six week is actually about squatting. The rest of it is about the rest of the ground rest positions, yeah. all the resting positions, because they're the micro elements of the macro skill of, squ- of squatting, because you have to get to squatting before you stand. So all the other rest positions are about nurturing the squat position to get you up onto your feet with the correct joint actions and the right posture to be able to stand up. So there's there's week by week there's there's little um, there's little uploads within that. So some are about the posture, some are about the mobility for the ankles and stability for the knees. On one level, is this could could this be one of the reasons why so many people get injured when let's say you know, they're, they're sat down all day at work in an office. They're sat down, let's say, on the sofa in the evening. They sit maybe in the car or the tube or a bus or a train on their way to work. So day in, day out for seven, eight, nine hours a day, their natural movement capacity is being compromised. Yeah. And then they get, um, you know, let's say they listen to a podcast that I might do with a runner. I think, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start running in nature. Yeah, it's going to be incredible for me. And they start doing it at the weekends and they do it for a few weeks, and then they start to get injured. And I see this a lot. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make is, if we have altered movement biomechanics as a result of the environment in which we are putting ourselves in day in, day out, that can actually hinder our ability to do a lot more of those exciting activities that we might get inspiration about, and then we can't do it. Is that, is that something you think is reasonable? Yeah. So again, like, so let's talk about running, for instance, right? So the best runners in the world, let's look at tribes, people, or the Tallahumara, right, who feature yeah. in Born to Run. They can whack out 400 miles in 48 hours, right? Which is like, what? It's just, it just seems so extreme. But actually, it's biologically normal, and it's a social norm to them. They're not a sitting culture, right? And they don't wear footwear. Well, they wear little minimized sandals that they've built. Um so yeah, so that the micro element of their macro skill of running hasn't been altered. So they haven't compromised the very posture that is needed for running. And if you don't have the appropriate posture, then you don't have the appro- appropriate patterns that come with it, which is biomechanics again. So it's kinetics versus kinematics. Kine- kinetics is the study of the forces within running. And then kinematics are the shapes I make due to the forces. And then a byproduct of that is the muscles and tendons that I will be using. So in theory, if you don't have a good ground rest position, ground resting game on that's strong and up into a squat and can't squat to stand, squat to stand, I I tend to say to people, I would cut back on mileage and start to address those things first because running is the macro skill. You need to address the micro elements of the running skill. Um, And many people say, yeah, we just run naturally. Well, that's not true because 70% of runners are giving up through injury. That's the American College of Sports Medicine. And so 70% of runners are getting injured. We have to question that because if you look at Dan Lieberman's work, right, we know that we are literally born to run. It's what shaped our physiology because that's what shaped the sapiens and everything from the, the way that the knee operates, the pelvis, the pelvic stability, your core stability, the head shape, the neck position. Otherwise, we would be a bigger brain, stronger physiology sitting here. We'd be Neanderthals, but we're not with sapiens sitting here. Just yeah. we're an urbanite species of a sapien. And so if that's the physiology that shaped us, what is it that shaped the amazing running arboreal animal that the sapien was? That We've traversed the most incredible terrain and hostile environments to get us here today. 
what's beneath that and beneath that is the ground positions the squatting yeah. so those guys aren't getting injured they can't afford to get injured because it it would if going by that stat like 70 percent going yeah. out of injury that's like saying only 30 percent of us would be here today yeah do you know what i mean it's like that's powerful it's like well what what is it that they're doing differently that's why i always go to nature as the filter and going by ground rest position, it's not just about the physiology. You have to understand that even if you go like five, ten thousand years ago to yoga and Ayurvedic traditions, they were building postures for what? They were building it to be able to hold the posture within meditation deeper and deeper so you could go beyond that. So that has a spiritual context to the shape. So if we build a really strong ground practice, it means that we can rest in position. So there's not just a physical experiment there. Socially, there's, a, there's an experience because it's demonstrating the appropriate behavior, but also spiritually you get much more connected and in your body and it means if you go into deep meditation or you go into i don't know ceremonies or, or something like that it means you can you have a strong vessel a physiology that can sit in pose for hours you know so there's yeah. a fit and the same as a tatahamara their running isn't it's not about cardio they're having a physical social and spiritual experience you know they're reaching profound states in running which is kind of what i've started getting to getting to myself and achieving through breath work and the right technique it may enables me to be more relaxed yeah you know? yeah I, I love that thought it's a physical social and spiritual experience and i guess one of the reasons i see running exploding these days is because people are craving that sort of you know that that that, that escape from the prison of modern life and modern living and i think running is a very accessible way or people perceive it to be a very accessible way of getting out there and just feeling free. And that statistic you mentioned really marries up with whenever I do a podcast with a runner, most people love it, but a lot of people will also say, I'd love that, feel inspired, but I can't run. I've had to give up because of injury. And it really sort of fits. Yeah, yeah. People are hearing the stuff they want to. And I can tell you my own story on that is that I had 10 years of chronic backache, maybe between the age of something like 21, 22 and 32, 33, something like that. Uh, you know, had time off work, couldn't lift up my kids, had to give up squash, had to give up all the things that I loved doing. And so I never really ran because I couldn't, because when I ran a bit, it would really hurt. And on, my, on the journey, I went on to try and get to the root cause of my back pain, uh, which took a long time. I found a guy who, uh, I think, you know, Gary, Gary Ward. Gary Ward, yeah and uh what I, the foot huh? what the foot book exactly yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. i've had gary on the podcast before one of the earlier episodes <laughs> and he's basically gary's um gary assessed me and he you know again i'm overly paraphrasing the complexity of what gary found but he said he said wrong and look your right foot isn't working properly it's sort of in many ways it's gone to sleep and we need to get your right foot working properly and when we do i think that's going to have a significant impact on your back okay mm, absolutely and I would do five minutes a day on these exercises he taught me and instantaneously I could feel my back loosening up. And so I've been through a whole rehab period off that, but I haven't had back pain now for years. I will now lift sofas, tables. I, I don't have to manage my back pain anymore. I know it's gone. I know, um, you know, there was a mechanical component. There was also an emotional component. Because yeah, it, it got to a chronic phase, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and, you know, we can always explore that. But the point I wanted to make is that I know what it's like to be injured, not be able to go out and enjoy these things. And since I've started to get in touch with my feet again, right, I now can re-engage in all the activities I want. I can now go and run. And I'm like, wow, I love running. And I never used to because I never could do it. But now I feel the freedom you get from running. Um, you know, obviously, we were together at the weekend in Devon when yeah. I didn't just run. I did a swim run event for the first time, which, again, I I've just got this newfound 
confidence in my body to go, you know what? I feel strong. Yes, I've never been in open water before. Yes, I've never swum those distances before. I've never ran those distances before. But you know what? I kind of trust my body now. So let's just go and see what I, we'll see what I'm made of. And so I, I just want, I, I wanted to share that so people listening to this who think they can't run, there may well be a way back. And I think these ground living postures that you're talking mm. about and relearning how to squat is an important one. Um, there's so much training I want to talk to let's you about. Go into, let's go into feet because we've yeah. just been talking about feet. So rewilding the feet is it's just as equally as important as ground rest positions. And then there's one more which is hanging for me. So between those three systems, that's how I get people back into running. So not even talk but, about running. I'll just go through ground rest positions. So, so how important are the feet? Well, they're the base of support, aren't they, for standing, walking, running, lifting, climbing even. Um, balancing. So it's a bit like I guess it's a bit like if you think about your car, yeah. you would know you would need good tires and good wheels because without them, it doesn't matter how good the engine is. You know, if if you've got lopsided tires or they're not, yeah, if you're balancing up, out or something's out, you know, you problem. feel it immediately in the steering wheel, right? Um, so yeah, twenty six bones, thirty three joints, over hundred muscles, tendons, and ligaments in the feet, right? So then there's two, up to two hundred thousand receptors in there feeding information back to your movement brain to make you super efficient and minimize the risk of injury so going back to that kinetics and kinematics we're receiving information from the environment through our feet you know and that enables your movement brain to right, make the right calculation so one might be posture yeah great to have a, you could work on an amazing posture then but then put a huge amount of rubber underneath you and that dumbs down the information that you receive from the environment so you no longer get the signal to tell you the areas of your feet you're even standing on um so there's specific loading points in, in the feet as well, which are designed for body weight and certain areas that are designed more for balance. So we can break the foot down like that as well. Um, so Duddy Morton did a lot of work around that um, and looked at specific loading points again in the evolution of the human foot. So if you look at the big toe, what I call the, what we call the great toe, it's like four times denser and thicker than all the other toes. So which one would be for load, right? Ah, okay, the big toe, right, makes sense. Then you have the ball of the foot. So Nicholas Romanoff from Poe's method helped identify this ball of the foot. And then also to minimize the amount of weight that we put through the heel. But if you think of it, you want kind of two-thirds of your weight in the front end of your foot and a third behind when you're standing. And if you can tune into that, that's great. If you're wearing a heel behind you, you're messing with that whole situation, but also you're messing with the ankle joint, how it responds to the information it's getting from the base of support. That then means the knee is affected, the hip is affected. So just by having a really solid foundation of the foot with the right signals coming back to the movement brain, we can create ankle mobility. Then we can have knee stability. Then we can have hip mobility. Then we can have pelvic stability. Then we can have thoracal mobility. And then we can have neck scapular stability. But, but it all starts with the foot. It all starts with the feet. So we've got people intervening with a massive plug word and it come in the gyms, core stability, you've got to work on your core. And I had a Pilates studio, I recognized it. We used to teach people just how to strengthen their core. But what's the point in strengthening someone's core if they don't have any hip mobility or ankle function or thoracal mobility? Because the moment they get off the exercise, they're just as weak. So the idea is to, again, address the way that the feet behave because that information has a massive impact on how the brain behaves with movement. Well, and again, you minimize the risk of injury and you're more efficient. So from a survival perspective, that's what enables the great running species and movement species of today is the fact they get the appropriate signals from their environment so they can create the right action within that environment. And if you dumb that down by putting any, I think it's anything above four millimeters between you and the earth, you start to dumb down the information that your brain receives. 
which is incredible. And that's just that. But then when you start to wear footwear that's narrow in the toe box, it then creates extra an extra shape. Something else changes within the foot. The big toe drifts over and you can no longer recognize the, the big toe, which is four times denser and thicker than all the other toes. You can't recognize it as a lever or a pivoting component. Therefore, the foot starts to roll in. We great gain something new. And for when you understand the evolution of the foot, you're growing like, it's almost like a gorilla toe. That's the bunion, right? Yeah. It's growing something else because you've lost perception of where the big toe should be as its main support leverage pivoting point, which then enables the ankle to collapse. So we have this prescription that comes in. Oh, yeah, I've got flat feet. Well, actually, you don't have flat feet. You just have a collapsed ankle and your big toe's off. So let's rewild the feet. So I... I just go through a series of exercises for feet, which helps enable the feet to get back into the appropriate shape for you to create the appropriate amazing postures that should be developed above it. So for people who listen to this, you think that could be um, affecting them. Are you saying that in every case or or in many cases... Or, you know, all is not lost. Even if you have spent 35 years in sole shoes and you're getting injuries and your feet are flat and you've been told you have to wear an insole, are you saying there is still hope your body can still adapt and you can get a lot of it back? Absolutely. I'm going to use an example. I I talk about this guy a lot. It probably drives him nuts. But he's now 78. His name is Yehudi Gordon. So he was... um he was a pioneer of the active birthing movement, so natural birthing. He almost rewilded childbirth, right, for instance. Um, so he came to me um, how many when he was 72, six years ago, and he said, I really love, I love to learn how to walk. And I was like, well, you're a 72-year-old wants to learn how to walk, right? It's interesting. Okay, okay, so let's hop up on the treadmill. And then I, on the treadmill, I can then record the guy from a side profile, not from the front, not from the behind. And that's the podiatry trick. If I record someone from behind and I haven't addressed their posture, they're going to be loading areas of the feet they're not designed to because the head position alone, the head, how much does the head weigh? Yeah, I can't remember, but it's a about, lot. About 5.5 five, five, five 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 kilos, yeah. right? It's a huge weight. When you actually give someone 5.5 five kilos, it's like, oh my God, this is huge. And the further forward it goes, the further forward you stride, the further forward you stride, the more you supronate naturally. And then the more you overpronate. So you oversupronate and overpronate because the head position's forward. So don't go recording people from behind or don't record yourself from behind. Record from the, from the side, and then you can see where the head position is in relation to the hip. So I want to be able to draw a plumb line, head, chest, hip, and then the foot underneath almost. And you watch, if the head position's forward, the, the foot just goes way out, more forward and forward and forward. So for this guy, 72, he was crumpled up, stooped, and again, massive, hip, massive strike, foot going way forward, huge supination, pronation. Okay, so let's have a look. So and then we went through rewilding feet, um, ground living, so ground resting positions for a 72 year old went all the way through it through kneeling, started off culturing in the kneel first, then single leg kneeling, then double leg kneeling, and then eventually got to the squat. And he's now squatting. So he sets his timer for 30 minutes a day, incrementally, five minutes here, six minutes there, whatever, and builds his 30 minutes, like the Edo Portal squat challenge, right? And then he can build 30 minutes a day and then it builds into a new habit. He then straight away, it was footwear. Footwear had to go out, right? I need you in Vivo barefoot, right? We're all familiar with Vivo, right? Yeah, um, everyone knows on this podcast. I'm exactly. a huge, huge fan. And we were on the big Vivo event this weekend. And so straight away, it's Vivos for him. So he now wears Vivos the whole time, doesn't own another pair of shoes. Um, from ground rest positions, we went into hanging. And hanging then through hanging positions, because you have to understand that we're talking about sapiens, which is 270,000 years, let's say. But underneath it all, we're arboreal as well. So we've got practices that go way back. So if you believe in evolution, there's that 35 million years somewhere. If you climb down the phylogenetic tree, you understand that we had amazing brachiating abilities. We were hanging, swinging, climbing. 
So when you start to incorporate those again, it enables you to get back to the wrist, the elbow and the shoulder and scapular components of, well, we have that in us. We're brachiating apes just the same. We still have the same capabilities. We just, we have the amnesia again. And then that enables the rib cage to lift. And when I get the rib cage up, I can do all the stretching I like for the thoracic spine. I've done it with people for years and years and years. Only when I started to use hanging, it was like, wow, okay, now they're getting the strength to hold it there. This isn't about the flexibility. Everyone bangs on about flexibility, but you need flexibility and strength. And that kind of comes in with mobility and strength and conditioning. So I could then strength conditioning this guy, Yehudi's posture through hanging, doing active arches, and then into bent arm strength. He's now physically much stronger through that process, that 72-year-old has now climbed Everest Base Camp, um, Bhutan, um, Mount Kenya. Yeah, he's just, he's just, oh, wow. so his morning looks like, and we've done a, I've done a whole natural lifestyle number on him. So he sleeps in an air purified room, um, has his office set up with a, with a bar so he can walk through, hang on the bar. He has a mat that he can squat on to kneel. And then he does his meditation, does his breath work asks the cards in the morning, gets the tarot cards out, and then he has a standing desk that he operates at, squats and stands, squats and stands, does an amazing smoothie of probiotic, prebiotic, symbiotics, and then walks down to the tube in his vivos. People say, oh, would you like a seat? And he goes, no, 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 no. And he, he hangs on the bar above, and he hangs while the tube's moving. The, do- the tube stops, the doors open, he squats. Then he does a bit of breath work, you understand? So he's he's basically become, at the age of 78, an opportunist so he's finding ways of living again that are enabling him as a 78 year old to thrive and when he meets people that have known him for years and years they're like wow man what's going on you look amazing and it's because he carries himself better he sleeps better physically just it's just a better being you know so he's removing what i would say again going back into suffering so if we look at even just the rest positions again you think about it, if movement is removes human, if movement is one of those things, that if you remove movement, you get human suffering. If we're all sitting for eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, we're suffering for eight to 10 hours a day, you know? You know, if your feet are in a shoe that's compromising, and as in the, the environment, the petri dish of the, of the foot is a compromising shoe, cells behave in two ways, Bruce Lipton, right? You have growth yeah. and you have protection, right? So let's say we fill our petri dish up with, um, nature, right? So we're going to have a natural footbed for the foot to behave how it should do. We're going to put ground rest positions in there. We're going to put the appropriate amount of sleep in there, lighting, everything else that feeds that set, that dish. You're going to get a growth promoting state. If I go into a petri dish and I say, right, here's a pair of compromising shoes. Here's a chair. Here's really bright lighting. Here's some inflammatory food groups. I'm going to get protection, you know? So do, so, so do we need to redefine the petri dish in modern life? Is, is that the problem, you, we we're saying that the environment determines our behavior, right? So if that is your environment, you work in an office for eight hours a day, right? Yeah. You have to commute and sit down, let's say. Let's say you, you drive to work, right? You know, how much difference is this stuff going to make when you have to live in that environment? And, and I guess the follow-on question to that is, what if someone's listening to this and go, Tony, that sounds great, uh, what you're doing, what your 72-year-old buddy has done, well, that's just too much for me. I, I, you know, has the train already left the station? Has culture moved on? Why are these things still relevant? And what, what would you say to someone who's listening to this, who's skeptical and says, it's too late, I can't do that into my life? Well, again, I'd say a 72-year-old dude rocks up at my door and look what he's doing now. He's a completely empowered being because underneath it, innately again, we're wild, we're connected and we're empowered beings, right? It's just something happens along the way. And I, you know, I have my perception of schooling and stuff like that, but... 
it's never too late. It can't be because all you do again, you just get the stuff from the Petri dish and you just put more growth promoting things in there. But they have to be small steps. Because if you just go, right, okay, here's your, <laughs> I'm going to put all this stuff, I'm going to put it in there, and it's just too overwhelming. And what happens is then we get an emotional response. And we all know what happens when we get an emotional yeah. response. We turn into the first six years of our life, right? And, and then that might mean, oh, I need the four-year-old sugars or the two-year-old something behavior comes in. We operate at the two-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old or six-year-old level. So it's never too late. And it's also, you just have to look at the environments differently. And I say, try and become more of an opportunist, right? So it can be the tube, right? I, I can choose to sit, right? But I'm going to, if I have an office environment and my HR department don't like the idea of standing desks, right? And they don't like the idea of you moving around too much. Don't sit on the tube because you're going to be sitting down for eight hours, right? That's what you have a choice there. Yeah. You make a choice between this is the old self. And this is, this is the compromised old self in this Petri dish. And this is me going to be my, go return back to my wild, innate, empowered state, right? Because we're born with that naturally. So how do I do that? Right, okay, simple things. Right, it can be, okay, here's, here's an opportunity. We're doing a podcast now. I can be sitting or I can be kneeling. I know that kneeling is nourishing the ankle, the knee and the hip, right? And guys, for, for those of you listening on audio, we are recording this on video. You can check it on YouTube or my Facebook page or, or on Instagram. <laughs> I actually, it's funny you say that because I, if I could squat for this entire conversation, I would have. Exactly. But I can't yet. Yeah. I'm working towards it. So yeah. maybe if we redo this in a couple of years, I might be able to. But I've noticed that you're not sitting on that chair. You're making a choice to nourish your body with vitamin movement yeah. and, and the ways you want to. And the more and the more you just look at these little uploads, the better you feel. And then the better you feel, you go, oh, okay, I'm going to have a go at this. So you could even say, right, for this month alone, what are the physical needs? So let's look at the physical human needs, right? You have movement, you have sleep, you have rest, you have play, you have food, you have sunlight, you have air, right? Sex, whatever. Right, let me get, or let me work on one of those a month, right? Let's work on movement this month. Let me work on empowering myself. I'm going to choose to, and it's choose, you choose to do this. I'm going to choose to sit less. Or I have Tuesday, I blog about a Tuesday, right? It's Tuesday. Morning peeps, it's that wonderful day of the week. It's Tuesday, right? It's the day where you make wonderful choices. Choose wisely, right? We're known as the sapien means wise. Let's be wise in our choice. So let's say um, I'm going to choose, I'm going to have a picture in my mind of how I want to be. And I'm going to pick Tuesday to behave like that. I'm going to choose how it is I want to be. And every time you do it, you'll think, oh my God, it feels amazing. And then what it starts to do, it starts to unravel and unravel into every day, yeah. every hour. Suddenly you'll look for more nourishing things that are going to help nourish physically, socially, and spiritually to remove your suffering. I did a talk in um, Santander asset management team, right? So they brought the whole team around. So this is Tony Rudd and I deliberately wore a suit so people could see it was relatable. I had a man bun then. So you can imagine it would have been, <laughs> if I wasn't wearing a suit, like this man bun hippie had rocked up. And I wore my office Evivos, right? Because again, that's not about what you run in, it's about what you live in, in theory, yeah. right? Then each individual person on that floor, after my talk, I went around to see them all. And I just said, right, these are the things that you can do within this environment. So you can slide your chair out, you can hold your desk, you can squat. You can set a timer. Every 25 minutes, ding, timer goes off, squat at your desk. How then, long for? Just do three or four squats, just something to get movement back in okay. and to go into, like, allow it, again, like we discussed earlier, allow the heel to come up. So you're not, you're not looking to be really strict. It's just hold the edge of the table, keep your chest, your head up and squat down, allowing your heel to come up. Little tiny little bounce at the bottom and then stand up again and then do that. Maybe five reps and then take a walk from one end of the office to the other. Get back to your desk. Buy something living for your desk. Buy a piece, Lily. Really simple to look after. 
You don't have to water. You water them every fourteen days, right? You can even go away for two weeks on holiday and come back. They're still they're still all right. They might be a bit unhappy with you, but a little bit more till they pick up again. The other thing was right. Okay, you're working late. Who's working late? Oh, I'm working late. Like amber glasses. We we just talked about yeah. amber glasses on here, right? So we know that through various studies now that lighting is playing a key factor in in suppressing melatonin. We also know that melatonin then has links to anti. It's, it's an antioxidant. Yeah. Um, it plays its role in apoptosis, which is this ability to transfer unhealthy cells into healthy cells is needed for that. So then we can look at cancer. There's other incredible stuff there where we could say it's Petri dish one, two and three, but they did a study of night shift workers in a simulated night shift with loads of blue light. They did um, night shift workers in the same blue light, but wearing amber glasses. And they did a sleep study of people in a dark room. They then did their melatonin test in the morning. The first group that was in blue light with no glasses, zero melatonin, really low levels. Um, group two, or let's call group two, the sleep one in a dark chamber of sleep, high levels of melatonin. And group three, still the night shift workers, but in a blue light experiment, but with amber glasses, had the same levels of melatonin as group two that were in the dark. You know, yeah. so if you're having to work late, again, you can't expect your whole floor to install circadian lighting. We're getting there. We're not just not there no, yet. Um, so I would say take the responsibility yourself for your own area. And if you want a growth promoting area at work, work on your movement, work on the air quality and work on the lighting. Um, if you're a photographer, I agree, it's very difficult to play around with that. So just be just, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, and then the other one is just breathing. So things like getting into a parasympathetic st state of breath. So you can do a nasal in breath. So breathing in for say four seconds through the nose and then do an out breath for eight seconds. If that's too long for you, go to a three and six rhythm. The key is rhythm here. So you could do box breathing. You could do a three, 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 inhale, hold exhale hold you know around a box and think of a box there or just do it yeah an inhale double up on the length of the out breath but it's rhythm and it needs to be like a three minute round of breath that to really drop into what is parasympathetic which is rest and digest so you're saying three minutes three minimum. minutes yeah to get into that state and also if you have um if you have kids this is what we do because we like to mindfully eat so we look at how they're um rather than saying grace or something like that we just go through things like breath work again before dinner time so, so let's, because let's rest and digest means that you're going into digestion so if you're in the office again it's about you're about to consume something build a relationship with the food as well because you could take that into the natural instance would be foraging I have a relationship to the environment. I have a relationship to the food, the sensory information. It prepares my enzymes, my whole digestive system. Compare that to a, a sandwich in a packet. I have no relationship to it and I wolf it down in seconds. So breath work and just a mindful practice around eating will assist your digestion. Why is that important? Because that's how we get the, the, the nutrients or the wealth of that food group to the health, to the cells, you know? I could have the most incredible diet, right? But I could have a really terrible digestion and, you know, I'm not absorbing anything. So yeah. the people with a really poor diet but a great digestive system are probably better off, you know? It, I think that's such a key point and um, a lot of the talks I've given recently, I've said that, you know, I explain the whole stress response, explain that actually... Um, you know, we are not designed to eat in that sort of stressed out state. Yet many of us are eating on the go. We're checking our emails at the same time. We're rushing oh, yeah. around and eating our healthy lunch in a very suboptimal state. And I've, I've, one thing I've discovered in clinical practice over the last few years is sometimes when people think they are reacting to foods, they might be, of course, but 
in many cases, I found that when I teach them some relaxation techniques before they eat, and they're eating in a much more relaxed state rather than a stress state, those reactions go away. So the question is, was it the food? Probably not. It was it was the fact that you were eating in a state where your body is not designed to eat. So Yeah, yeah so you can't assimilate, can you, with the food, right? Yeah. So if we just dive in there a second. So you and your family, um, you, your wife, and your kids. Obviously, you don't have any chairs at home. And yep. we, we will go back to that at some point. So I think that's super interesting for people. But you're about to consume your evening meal, right? Talk me through that. What happens in the Riddle household at dinner time? Um, it, well, it often depends on how Tallulah is because she might be on the table at that stage. How old is um, Tallulah? Tallulah's now three. So, so let's put some um, concepts here. How old are your kids? So they're now nine, seven, and three. And then we have a new baby on the way. Katarina's now 22 weeks. Congratulations. Yeah, man. Fantastic. Exciting stuff. Okay, so at the moment, three, five of you are sitting around for dinner. Yeah. So just I, I'm really keen for people who are listening to this to... Some of what you promote might be perceived as being quite extreme, right? But I don't think it is. I actually think there's so much we can all learn from it. So that's why I'd love to go through like a sample dinner time to see if people can learn something from it and start to apply some of those principles, if not all of them, in their own life. Yeah, so we, because we don't, of course we don't sit. So again, we can take sitting into that same model of suffering, which we've covered. So we remove the suffering. So therefore the organism shouldn't be so stressed anyway, because sitting is stressful for the organism because we're affecting our physiology. Although I'm just going to add there that if you have never squatted for and you're used to your whole life, um, sitting in a chair if you suddenly go from that to like squatting for your dinner of course it's going to be more stressful it's going to be more stressful yeah. because you're going to be achy so just play with it so there's there's again there's a hundred different rest positions so the squat is just one we there's i'm kneeling now so there's double leg kneeling single leg and we can just roll out different rest positions yeah. and you'll often see that so if you were if you set up like a a hyperlapse of my family you'd see the kids are just from one position to the next they're never in a position for too long so the their physiology gets a signal their mind gets a signal oh, it's a bit uncomfortable now i need to move which doesn't necessarily happen in a chair right we can be we can just go off cerebral world for eight hours right yeah um so you often get that signal so they will that's what will happen then the food say for instance the food is in front of us we will sit and we will honor the plants and um the environment and we breathe and we just respect the food groups and what do you do with this breathing um again just a simple three second in six seconds out or four seconds in eight seconds out so breathing in through the nose will help you reach the lower lungs as well yeah. uh, vasodilation as well because there's nitric oxide through the nose so how long are you doing that for roughly before just dinner? a three just a three minute process of just sitting and just concentrating on what we're about to so, consume so, so i love that because that actually has real practical take home for someone listening who Maybe doesn't feel ready yet for a squat or a rest position. Yeah, you can Let, just say, you can, of course, you can that, sit but, in a chair and just breathe, yeah. of course. So yeah. I think that's a very practical take home. Do like you're saying three minutes is ideal, really, to really tap in. I think in. really dropping because it gives you the rhythm that you need. But also, I mean, there's lots of studies around breath, and it seems to be that there's, there's certain things like nasal breathing, key thing, factor to, to parasympathetic breathing, box breathing works, this doubling up on the out breath, and then there's a period of time that enables you to drop in. Um, now, sitting, if you are going to sit, I just at least honor posture while you're there. So think about 
lifting your rib cage because this is about breathing right and the, the, the rib cage obviously the lungs are sitting underneath there so you want your lungs to operate their full potential start thinking about being more upright and lifting the chest and your rib cage as, as you say that i actually am changing my position it's amazing yeah, you hear that and it course, makes me just, just sit up a bit more and, and it's uh, just and it by having a ritual you see at dinner time it just changes things and it gets you back in the body again and it's about what you're receiving we're all receiving aren't we so i think it's nice just to Spend a moment to just have a relationship more with the food that you're about to receive, you know? Yeah. And, and also take time. So I'm mindful of it myself because I'm ex-military. And it used to be this thing where you just go into, they call it the scoff house, right? I mean, that's, that just gives you an idea. That's the dinner <laughs> yeah. hall. And it's literally that people just go in blah, 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 and they eat because they have a minimal amount of time. They have to be back out on parade or doing something else. So in basic training, you have this quick turnaround. It's a terrible relationship with food. You're literally just wolfing food down. And it is wolfing, that's the thing. Um, and so for me, I really had to work on that to be a better example for the kids. And then it's about chewing. So chew your food until it becomes a liquid. So the key is, I think I heard, what was it? Um, chew, chew your liquids. Yeah. And um, swallow your, and, and, and drink your solids. You know, so you're basically chewing your solids till they become a drink. Yeah. And yet your smoothies and your juices, chew them so you get the digestive enzymes going again. Otherwise, it's what, you, what are you absorbing? You've got this, I've just gone through this. I've just made this incredible smoothie this morning. I've put banana, avocado, puck choy, celery, maca, spirulina, all these things in it. And I just neck it. You yeah. know, It's about, again, the relationship between what it is you're putting in your body. It's, I mean, I think it's such a great, great point. And I've got to say, that's the one I struggle with the most. I think my whole life I've wolfed down foods. The last six, seven years have been a voyage of discovery for me. I've changed so many aspects of my entire lifestyle. But the one thing I still struggle with is eating fast. And, and how do I know this? Because I see my son doing exactly the same thing. And it kills me because I know I've modeled this. I exactly. know I know I've modeled this behavior and that he's just mimicking what he's seen. And I'm trying to get him to slow down. But I'm thinking, well, you know he's not going to do that because all he sees is you wolf down your food. He's not listening and he needs to see. Yeah, but but again, look, I'm not I used to beat myself up about this. And um, you know, like you we you were sort of alluding to right at the start, you know, about personal growth. As I do more work on myself, the more I realize that actually I'm doing the best that I can. Um, there's many great examples I hope that I've set him. That happens to not be one of them. But you know what? We're not perfect. We're all imperfect. And yes, I wish I hadn't conditioned him to do that. But I'm going to try my best to first of all work on myself mm. and then hopefully showcase to him that there's a different way of doing this. Um, my daughter is so good at doing this. She is so mindful when she eats. She always is there for like, she eats really slowly. She chews everything. And I watch her and I think, wow, you know, that's, she's, she just naturally is doing that mm. despite her father being a pretty poor example of that. One thing I, I must say I do, um, because I, I sort of, I really do see more and more that we can talk about personal choices and behaviors. And I think that's great. And I'm all for empowering people, but that environment we're surrounding ourselves with me, makes you know, really determines a lot of our choices. So I love the fact that because you don't have chairs at home, you can't sit in a chair, right? So automatically, you're going to have to find other solutions. Um, my, my kids rarely, rarely watch television. It's not, just not something that we, you know, in fact, we're thinking of getting rid of the television. Yeah, we removed ours. But, but we, yeah. they do occasionally, but the deal I make with them is, okay, you can watch as long as you're squatting. Yeah, nice. So Brilliant. 
Yeah, and it and it works because they're like, okay, you know, Daddy, I will squat when I'm watching. So here's the thing: so one of my mates came around and said, "That's a bit harsh, isn't it?" I said, <laughs> "I said, mate, that's not harsh at all. They can squat perfectly. You know, my son can drop in a squat. He can sit there for no problem at all." I, I said, "I'm actually not doing anything harmful to him. I'm not punishing him. I'm actually, I think I'm helping him because he's like gets to do what he wants to do." But he's also squatting there for 20 minutes while he's doing it. Well, it's the reverse of harmful. I think I, I sat down with Rich and um, Rich Roll. So we, we did a podcast, didn't we? And, and he, we were talking about ground living. Yeah. And he said, oh, your kids are going to they're gonna need therapy when they're older. And I thought, well, actually, it's, it's almost like this. To think about it, it's actually the reverse in a way, because you're basically just their physical, social, spiritual needs again. If you align it more with nature, the less suffering we have, right? So if you get back in the body and you get back in the physical vessel and you become a stronger being, then in theory, emotionally, you have, you're, you're more connected, right? So it's again, I think with, te- I think with television, you bang on there. I think if, you know, if you want to watch a film and a movie. Why not squat when you do Why not squat? Or do, not even squat. You, again, there's a hundred rest positions. Just choose yeah. them and just go, uh, see I, I, how many you can do. I quite like that with the kids. Let's see how many of these we can practice. You know, and it's I know like, what, I, what I'll often do, and and um, is like this wall here. Uh, if if we are watching a film as a family, which again is pretty rare, but if we are, I can't maintain a squat without support for a long period of time. So I'll often squat against the wall here. So I'm still, I've got my heels on the ground. I'm still, but I'll be watching it against this wall. And it, it's funny because there's a couple of things to explore here. One, one is what is a social norm. So Rich Roll says to you. Uh, your kids are going to need therapy when they're older, right? <laughs> and I get that because what they are doing is socially abnormal compared to the current norm. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's not optimal. Well, it's perceived as social extreme, right? It's a social extreme yeah. behavior in in this environment. Exactly, and yeah. but, and and this is not the environment in which we as humans have evolved to function optimally, which is one of the fundamental reasons why. So many people are are living, you know, are struggling with their health these days on many, many levels. But I think that the wider point here is how much can people constantly struggle and fight against an environment that is working against them? Okay. So I think the first stage is to remove struggle and fight and just go with acceptance, right? This, this is where we're living. So we're living, we're an urban species, we're living in an urban environment. So again, what, what can I, what can I do within that environment to empower myself? So if I know, you know, some HR departments, they won't, they won't allow standing desks, right? And for some people, even just a standing desk alone, um, if they have poor posture because they haven't been using ground rest positions, it's just as detrimental. You, you know, you can sit with poor posture or you can stand with poor posture. Yeah. They're both just as bad. So it's just, it's just having templates again. And again, there's, there's, there's so much we can do in rather than seeing it as battling. And I think it helps to travel as well and go around. Like we lived in Ibiza for a year, right? And other people are, are, are floor culture there. They're ground living, you know? Our kids got to roam around pretty much naked the whole time. It broke my heart coming back into London in, in a way because it's like, that is okay on the heath. Is it okay to take our tops off or is it okay to do this? And they would just be roaming free in Ibiza. So, of course, there's a, there's, there's a change that occurs culturally wherever we go. Can I just clarify that point? Did you move to Ibiza so that the way that you and your family choose to live would be easier and more acceptable? What? It, there was many things we wanted to basically get and in a way yes because we we were living in windsor and we had this amazing setup this beautiful place like little cottages on a green massive willow tree in the middle and the kids would just roam we had the doors open they just run in and out 
And that was, that was incredible because it gave them freedom just the same. We we're close to nature. Um, but it, it was different. The community was different, right? So we was, we, we had, again, we were socially extreme because we had no chairs and this and that. And kids weren't eating the same food groups as the other kids. And I know that feeling. And there, you know, there was no gluten, no sugar, no dairy. We were plant based. And people were like, oh, who are these nutcases? That guy's got a man bun, you know? And so we just said, you know, let's, we knew people in Ibiza and we'd been going over there a lot. And it was like, okay, this is a great setup for us. There's a good community and good vibe over there. But London reeled me back in. And part of this conversation as well is that London's reeled me back in. I'm working with a developer and I'm doing like a, a co-working wellness, well-being, lifestyle build. So it's about bringing as much of that physical, social, spiritual needs into a building as possible so that so that we can work on changing the template of the office environment. Yeah, love it. Because it has to be that we look at buildings for, from, a, from a sustainability perspective as well, but just understanding that if you're in charge of a building, it's your build or you're a, you're a developer, we need to be we need to raising the, our game because, again, we're affecting people's health here. So if we can basically create environments that people go into – and rather than ram wellness down their neck, I, I didn't want to create a space like that. We wanted to create a space where you just go and you go, oh my God, I feel well in here. This is amazing. So we're creating like gardens that you walk through to get into the building and then playing with movement and air quality and lighting and all kinds of things to try and get as many physical needs met. But then we build, we want to build a community in there because it's about social needs as well. Yeah. And then we know that and then once you get physical, social, spiritual, the spirit, the, it's the spiritual needs then that will come through that because we're bringing in sound healing and meditation and yin practices rather than high intensity i want low intensity there's enough yeah. high intensity in the world so i'm just going to try and uh, get people to understand how to breathe again so just by again it's it, it it takes time but it's but it is shifting there's more and more happening in that in that in that space you know it reminds me a lot of um the chat i had with dan Boetner, who's studied all the blue zones oh, the blue zones amazing yeah. yeah released that episode just a couple of weeks ago um feedback's just been absolutely incredible because um you know he has this phrase he said in the blue zones people are not pursuing health health ensues from the environments in which they're in yeah it's a symptom exactly and it's <laughs> you know if we create those environments that you're trying to do with office space and you know my my big uh, passion is how can we do this with schools so that kids from that young age are not shoved in chairs all day are not losing some of their innate um you know biomechanical functionalities or, or whatever they're, they're not losing that and having to you know like at my age i'm trying to relearn how to squat you bet your bottom dollar when i was six i could squat absolutely fine yeah. I'm spending hours, you know, trying to do that. So, I, I do think you know, changing that environment is important. I did. I went out to I went out to Beedale School to their Dunanny, which is like the, the lower years, and um, amazing space. So you got amazing. It's out by Petersfield. It's incredible. It was, a, it, was it was basically at one stage it, it was a, it was a school that's way ahead of the game, right? And so I arrive, and it's a new um, head. And she contacted me, said, oh, would you like to come out and have a meeting? And so I go out and I arrive and it's beautiful settings. And we're talking for what must be two hours. And I'm looking around and I'm like, I haven't seen a child yet. And it's got this amazing info. It's a beautiful day. It's so sunny and it's yeah. incredible grounds and they could grow stuff there. And so oh, they're in the classroom. And I said, well, you know, the first seven years of life, you know, let's not, let's not, let's not ram on the intellectual brain. Let's enable them to just see this amazing environment and become reconnected with nature because you and I, have, I've had to go through a rewilding process. Yeah. Right? I've had to reconnect and I have to learn how to become empowered and, you know, lovely empowered T-shirts that we all love wearing. But the kids have that. So it's, it's almost our responsibility 
to create school environments and work environments and home environments that help nurture that, you know? Yeah. And that's that's where it's at for me. It's just about, again, that can happen in the school environment, work environment or the home environment. Yeah. And it's out of your hands, really, if it's the school environment. But that's, if people are listening, in, it's the schools that need to change. I did, I did a post um, uh, interview with the Outdoor Journal and they did like a four-part series with me. And the last one was about children and education. And I was in a way, this, unfortunately, the system's almost broken, right? Because in five to 10 years' time, where are we going to be as a species with tech improving the way it is? Yeah. Um, we, have to basically, we have to have that conversation of what are we preparing the kids for, you know? And how do we create environments that keep nurturing those innate abilities, right? How do we enable them to understand what their physical, social, spiritual needs are so that they don't have to sit down and have a podcast like this to understand how to do it, you know? Yeah. But but it takes, we we it's our generation, we have to take on the responsibility to be the change. And it sounds so cliche, this be the change, but it is, it's literally just by your example. And again, don't let that be overwhelming. That might mean anything, you know? Yeah. That could be anything. It could be any little small change that you can think of that will make you a better human today will have an impact in your child's home, the child's environment, you know, what they're observing. Yeah. And it's all about the observations. The observations that you make in those first years become the templates for the rest of your life. Yeah. So if those observations have been made and they're compromising, yeah, you might have, they might have to reconnect when they're older, but you know what? I had to reconnect. It's yeah. not done me any problem, you know, and far, part of it's been an incredible journey learning how to reconnect and rewild and, and become think, empowered. I, right? I think that's a reassuring thing because yeah. the hardest thing as a parent is to hear, oh, the other years are important, you know, six, the first six years of life, that's where all the programming gets laid down. Oh no, what have I done? You know, I'm getting empowered now and my kids are already nine or 10. You hear this all the time. I feel the same, but, but the reality is, you know what? It's going to happen. You're not going to be perfect. And actually, if kids have to relearn it when they get older, well, so be it. Then they have to. As you say, you, you're doing it. I'm in the process of doing that. It's not necessarily all bad. It can be, you know, it's just part of that journey, right? Yeah, we see it as doom and gloom. But, you know, we're living in an amazing time right now, right? I mean, we're going down this path of being information rich and experience yeah. poor, but the information's there, right? And then it's up for us to go out and experience it. So we are living in an incredible time. Our parents didn't have what we have now, right? No. You know, they didn't have the ability to access what they had. And they're also walking around with like post-traumatic stress disorder from wars and stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah. So we're, we're unraveling all that while we're at it. You yeah, know? No, you've given, and there's loads of practical take-homes that you've already offered for people. You know, there are these resting positions that, you know, that a lot of these exist on Tony's Instagram, so you can see them there. Well, you know, if there's any links, I'll definitely link them in the show notes. There's, you know, a daily practice of, I think you said a 30-minute squat, aim, aim to squat for 30 minutes a day. Is yeah, that do you don't know, again, not, because again, it's overwhelming Think of it like you set a timer 30 minutes and every time you get into the squat position, whether that's with a heel support or even holding onto the table, anything that you can do to get into that rest position, firstly, view what the template is for squatting. You know, have a look, an image, Google squatting um, and resting squatting. And then you accumulate 30 minutes in one day. So you have a 24-hour clock there. You just have to find, accumulate 30 minutes within it. That might mean a minute. It could mean 30 seconds, whatever's comfortable for now. And then what will happen is they will stretch that. I've got people squatting for 30 minutes, no problem now. But they started off with a minute, two minutes here, three minutes here. And it grows and grows and grows until it becomes the new habit. And then you yeah. go back to, you know how you see it's amazing with kids, we were saying. Yeah. They they suddenly drop into a squat and you're like, wow, okay. And then they just get back and they move on and they squat again. You get back to that state because it's it just 
again, it's an eight, right? It's an eight and, rest and then, position. And then that will, by default, improve... I'm guessing your walking gait or your running gait is just automatically going to start to improve. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a micro element of it. So those macro skills of standing, walking, running, anything, anything you want to, an application that you want to put into the gym, it will enhance it. So I have, um, you know, a pool of clients with yogis and martial artists that come and see me. And they're, they, they, they were injured in the knee and in the pelvis, right? So they're trying to put through very ancient disciplines through a modern sedentary posture. So you could even take rewilding back even just to 5,000, 10,000 years ago. We know that we weren't a chair-sitting culture. So that's what I have to do with those guys. It's just getting them back to understanding the ground practices that those masters of those amazing disciplines were performing. You know, that's rewilding. It's still taking them back. It's not going back 200,000 years, but we need the template of 200,000 years to understand that's that's what the squat is. That's its origins. And then if I want to put in any yoga practice or any martial art practice, I have to look at where those originated from and what's the difference between that culture and where I'm at now, right? So yeah. that's how you heal a knee, basically. The knee's the most I – mean, it's, it's incredible. It can cope with like 500 pounds of pressure. It's insane the level of knee injuries I see coming in the door. Once I just get the rewild to squat back in, they miraculously just unravel can, and they're healthy again. You can believe that. The knee's in between the foot and the hip, isn't it? And the knee's almost yeah, takes the, the strain. Man, right? of what's going on at the foot or the hip you sort those out exactly and then it's happy and then they go back to their practices and guess what everything gets ramped up the yoga practice improves and so does the martial art practice so imagine what that's going to do to just you know if you want to take a walk down the shops or you know go for a little park run you know I mentioned earlier on that that my experience with back pain and and it's incredible for me that my progression to sort of barefoot living as it were and you've got to understand that culturally i grew up in a barefoot household so you know as a lot of people know asian families we don't certainly my culture you don't tend to wear shoes in the house it's just you, you always take your shoes off before you come in it's just how i've always lived so for me that's norm you know you saw when you came in today you know it's you know, everyone, the shoes are outside because we don't wear shoes in the house it's just not something we do. So I have been barefoot a lot in my life, I guess, but I have also worn cushioned shoes. But here's what happened. As as Gary sort of helped me wake up my right foot, as it were, I liked the way that felt. And then when I would go into my shoes, I'd be like, oh, I can't really feel my foot anymore. So the natural progression for me then was to go, well, I sort of want footwear that allows me to feel my foot. And there are a few barefoot brands there that I I found, but actually because I'm so tall and I'm a UK size 13, most of them didn't make a UK 13. And that's how I found Vivo Barefoot actually is that they made a UK 13 and I bought a pair of shoes, wore them. I thought, I feel like myself. I feel like when I'm walking, I can feel my foot moving and over a couple of years, I started to progress. You know, it was it was initially it was my sports shoes, mm. but but within two years, every single shoe that I wear is a Viva Barefoot shoe because I love the way that I feel in them. And then what would happen is that um, I, I remember once I went to a wedding, right, and I thought, oh yeah, I've got to be smart at a wedding, and um, I don't really have proper smart Vivos at the time, so I wore some old smart shoes that I had, probably worn them for about six seven hours. At the end of the day. My hip was aching. I, I felt my gait was different as I was walking. And I thought, hold on a minute, wrong. Right? Enough's enough. You know, you've you've suffered for years. I don't care if it's a wedding or anything else. I am not wearing heel shoes anymore. Got rid of them. And thankfully, I, I, I have now have got some Vivo smart shoes that I can wear with the suit. But the point is for me, once this is I, I'm not doing that because someone told me to do it or someone lectured me to do it. Gary didn't even tell me to do that. 
um, I just started to discover for myself, oh, I like feeling my feet. I like feeling them move. So the natural progression for me was to go down that route. So I think barefoot living is also something that people can probably learn a little bit. If, if it comes down to that Petri dish thing and it's the home environment, it's often where I start people on their barefoot things. Just remove the shoes when you're at home. Just walk around the home barefoot. And it's always surprising the reaction because it's, ah, oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, all right. And it's this thing about just taking shoes off and actually witnessing that you have feet. I did a, um, I did a workshop for this company called Busy Buttons, like a creative group. Yeah. And they coach kids, basically. And they said, would you like to come in and do a rewilding workshop? And I was like, yeah, yeah I'd love to. Okay. So we, they took them out to Virginia Water, the Savile Gardens, beautiful park. And so we all sat down in a circle and I got all the kids around in the circle and I, and I started taking them through breath work. And I said, right, okay. I want you to close your eyes, kids, and I want you to t- tell me what, tell me what, listen, tune into nature, what you can hear. And one of them went, a lion, I can hear a lion. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right, it's time to move on. Okay, everyone stand up. I just want you to do this. Just take your shoes and socks off. And they were all really alarmed. What? We've got to take it. What? We're on, we're standing on the ground. I was like, just trust me on this. Just take your shoes and socks off. And they took their shoes and socks off and they went off. They were just screaming, running, just like they'd been literally let out of a cage. It was incredible to witness. And the guys, Leo and Luella, who run Busy Buttons, were like, Tony, what are we going to do with the next? I said, we're not, we're just going to just observe them. Just have a look at our amazing work. Look, look, this is it, it's done. That's all they needed. That's almost how disconnected we are. So simple little things like around the home, yeah. definitely just take the shoes off and and just experience the carpet at least, you know? Yeah. No, the- no, I love it. I absolutely love it. And again, another great take-home tip for people. But culturally, that- is, it is there, isn't it? It's like we were saying, like you had the sitting culture, it can be a squatting culture, it can be a ground-living culture, it can be footwear-off culture. Just, again, it's just that they're much more aligned with how it would be in nature. Yeah, it, it is incredible. And, you know, it's... I, I think one of the reasons I, I resonate with your work so much is I have a tendency to extremes myself, not with my patients. I'm always quite uh, measured with my patients. Um, and when I'm trying to help them, I would say small changes. But when I, with myself, I often go all in. Um, so for example, I would absolutely love to get rid of all chairs in this house. I, because I know what that will do is, although I find it hard at the start, I will skill up. It mm. will force me to skill up. And in no time at all, within two or three months, I know that'll be my new norm. And it will mean, yes, maybe I'm sitting on a train or I'm sitting in an office somewhere. But when I'm at home, I will have to get better at that. So here's the problem. Um, You know, I like many people, I've I've got a partner. So my wife doesn't share the same viewpoint on this as I do. In the sense, it's like, yeah, I get it, but it's just a bit weird. Um, And what about when my or your parents come over, you know, we need to have chairs for people. I said, yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, maybe we can keep some, but maybe our dining table can be low down and we can always squat there. And so I guess what I'm asking, it's not, it's a slightly selfish question, um, (laughs) I guess, but I'm hoping the listeners will get something. It's loaded, it's loaded. It's a loaded question. You know, what would you say to people or, you know, to my wife uh, when they're sort of um, expressing, let's say, a, a reluctance to go, all in on something like this have you got any advice um i take i mean you're doing you're doing best steps already just i'd get people off the sofa at least and just if you're watching if you're doing a netflix binge take it down to the ground yeah and just see that actually you know i'm going I'm, oh hang on a minute, i'm going to pilates i'm going to yoga i'm going to all these things why am i doing it uh, it's because maybe to help my posture but the reality is if you don't sit so much and you put stuff on the ground you don't necessarily have to go and do those things yeah again yoga doesn't exist in nature right neither does pilates 
but they have the most incredible postures. And I think from a parenting point of view, do, do, I, do I want my child to be an amazing upright being? And if I do, I have to basically be the example. So if, if your partner doesn't agree with it, I'd still be the change myself and be the yeah. behavior because you can't preach to people anyway. You have to be the light, right? So if yeah. I, I want to be the beacon, this big bright beacon, it's just about behavior. And we didn't always ground live. It's just the kids got to, I think, four and two um, before Tallulah came along. And I could see Lola already. We had trip trap chairs, right? Now, we'd already had no strollers. We already had slings, no car seats because we weren't driving. We used to carry the kids everywhere. So they had minimal sitting. It was only really when it came to dinner times, let's say, right? And I already could see Lola's posture. She started, it started to go. And again, it's just gravity, right? And that C-shaped primate kicks in. And I was, oh, I just can't believe this is happening, yeah. you know? And, and partly because she's observed us sitting. Whereas Tallulah... Um, she had no no sitting furniture at all. So even when it came to her playing with a doll's house, she was like looking at the high chair like some inanimate object. She had no idea what it was. You know, yeah. she, she could relate to the the bed and, and wardrobes, but she couldn't understand what a chair wasn't. But the difference was with her is that she becomes so strong. I mean, she was not like a, a child learning to stand. She just stood and she was robust, solid, already climbing at like 12 months, rock climbing. Just the, the motor school milestones unraveled a lot earlier. Which, it's amazing to be able to witness that and see. For me, it was just profound. It was there was profundity there. So I think with the again with Lola, I just I observed it and I said, you know, I'm the I've create I'm creating this environment. Yeah. So it's they they can't say we don't want chairs. They it's my responsibility. So I just said like Katarina, I'm done. I don't want. I, I just can't see this anymore. These are my reasons. What do you think? And and I just laid it down. I said, look, this this, this is the clients I see. These are the symptoms I see. Why are, we, why are we putting this on our kids? Why, In theory, why are we injuring them? Because my clients come to see me have injuries due to sitting. I class them as injuries, you know? So I just, it, there was no excuse. But, but, but it makes sense you saying that. It's not judgmental. You're not having to go at people. You're On, on one level, the way in which you, you see the human body, they are injuries. They are yeah, human beings in suffering. And it's integrity for me. I just, it just, it, I couldn't, I, I had a practice. In the end, I end up closing my Pilates studio for the very same reason. Yeah, it's about integrity. You know, people would come in with the same symptoms and I can't heal them in the Pilates studio because that's not about that. And they put the same compromising footwear on to get back to their car. So in theory, by the time they got back to the car, they all had exactly the same ones yeah. that they walked in with. I just give them an hour of movement and therapy yeah. rather than movement therapy. And the movement therapy exists actually outside the Pilates studio, outside the physio practice, outside everywhere else. It can happen in the home. It just means... Just even if you keep your dining room ta table and chairs, just minimize it. Just go onto the ground, do a Netflix binge in a box fit, box sit, you know, box set in a shin box sit. Well, what know? Netflix can now become, or a film, a family film session can now become a movement session, really, because it's yeah. like, okay, what, you know, if, if you guys are doing it, or like, say, on a Friday evening after school or on a Saturday, whatever, do it, but do it ground living. And then suddenly you're still having that same you know, socially normal experience, but actually doing it in a slightly different way and you're working on feeding your body that natural movement. So it is it is inspiring. Yes, yeah, like, okay, look, if you eat organic food, right, have organic movement, you know, if you, you yeah. know, breathe organic air, have organic sleep, it's, that's, that's another yeah. way of looking at it. It's just, it's understanding that there's the, there's the, Process version of something and there's the organic version of it. Yeah, but you're just bringing that to movement, which is which is a beautiful uh, way of looking at it. Tony, we've been chatting for ages and we haven't still got onto the thing that I was <laughs> most excited to talk to you about. So yeah. 
you know, I guess what we've been talking about so far has laid the groundwork quite literally for this. Yeah, well but done. you are, I didn't plan that. That yeah, just that's, came that's out. That's a great one, man. Like that. <laughs> but, but you are doing something quite incredible this September, which almost feels like an extension of everything you've already been doing on your social media, with your own life, with your family's lives. You're taking it one step further. Can you explain what you are doing this September? Yeah, so starting from the 1st of September, I will be running um, from Land's End to John O'Groats. So it's 30 days, 30 consecutive days of running 30 miles a day, but I'm doing it barefoot. So I'm running from Land's End to John O'Groats. I just want to clarify that. You're not wearing barefoot shoes no, to do No, just this. barefoot, you, barefoot. You so. are properly barefoot. Yes, yeah, so and naked, but naked feet, yeah. You're going to be naked as well? Well, there might be moments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, th- I mean, this is incredible. Yeah. You're basically running more than a marathon a day for 30 days. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Completely barefoot. Yeah. Um, there's a whole host of questions I want to ask about this, but why are you doing this? Um, well, firstly, I just, again, I'm tapping into what I feel is a physical, I've reached this physical, social, spiritual pathway, really, with running. I no longer see it as a physical thing. So it's enabled me to... It's to prove what's in the, what we can do, what's in our physicality, what's biologically normal again. But also, it's good for me, the human being, to be doing it. It's a good example to show, oh, these are the things we can be doing, in my mind. But also, I'm, I'm doing it to raise a platform for sustainability. So I'm interviewing sustainability and environmental experts along the route. So each day, I get to interview somebody different. Um, and the way I, way I see it is that I can do all these amazing things, right? I can go out barefoot running, I can go climb, I can swim, I can jump, I can balance, but really that's creating a platform. And with that platform uh, is a very important message behind it is going to be for the environment, which goes into this generational amnesia thing. I want to just raise as much awareness for not just the human being, but for the habitat, you know, where can people find details off this? Um, well, follow me on Instagram at the natural lifestylist on my website, Tony, um, riddle.com. Um, and there's a few videos and things and links that we're putting up there. And you're going to put the whole route online, aren't you? The route will be up. That's coming up soon. And that will give you, that means that you can then join at any stage. We've also got plug, plug illusion there involved. So there's going to be litter picking events along the route on weekends for you to kind of join. I get like a forest gumper feel, feel to it. Then that'd be amazing. So are you inviting people to come and join you and run Absolutely, with you? Absolutely. I'd love that. You know, as I say, it's a social experience, right? As well. So, but, but they don't have to be running barefoot. No, you can just come along and run. I'm also going to, I'll also be running, you know, holding a few workshops and tutorials and things like that along the route as well. So you can come in and get a little bit of a tune up from me. Vivo barefoot are involved as well. I've got their wagon joining me as well on certain stages, which will then give people like pressure plate examples of where their weight is when they're standing. And we can again get some talks and workshops going to help people and improve people in their running style, but also for things like squats and ground living. Yeah. That will all be in, now, hey, in place. Like when, when it, I know we're currently recording this podcast, um, something like, what are we, 24th of June, something like that I now? Think so, I think something yeah. like that. I know that the route goes online on the 1st of July. So by the time this podcast goes out, I think the route will be up. Yes. Uh, I'm certainly going to be looking. I will ab- would absolutely love to join you, certainly with my kids if I can, to, to run part of, the, part of the distance. But barefoot running um, across the UK, a lot of people listening to this who are quite foreign to let's say everything that you're talking about, maybe maybe this is a, like a complete oh my God. wake up. Oh yeah. my God, I, I just don't know where to start. Barefoot running, 
I'm a fan. I run in barefoot shoes. Um, I have done for the last years. I, I spent a bit of time doing the exercises. I think I think maybe your exercises that I saw online, also on the Viva Barefoot website, there are a few exercises of you know bouncing to a metronome speed of 180 BPM. Yeah. I did a lot of time trying to retrain myself so that I could run in those shoes, and and I, I wouldn't consider not doing anything in those shoes anymore. I I, I love you know, on a separate note. I love that one thing I love about that brand is. Uh, for people who think I'm, I am not paid to promote Viva Barefoot at all, I would just absolutely disclose that if, uh, as a doctor. I just, I'm a huge fan. That uh, has really changed my life personally. Well, they're great for the human. They're great for the environment, man. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing that we can. But they, they sort of say barefoot there. is best. But if you're not barefoot, wear our shoes, which I think is great. And so they're, they're going to help support you. But you're, you're not going to wear their shoes. You're no. actually going barefoot. Well, I'll wear their shoes outside the run. Yeah, you know, because again, it's about preserving the feet. So it's almost like don't run in their shoes, live in their shoes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. For, people often say barefoot running isn't applicable to the modern living environment because it's all very well for people um, two thousand years ago, let's say, but we've got roads and we've got tarmac. What would you say to that? Um, I trail run barefoot, and trails comprise of mud impacted mud grass more impacted mud tree roots boulders stones horrible gnarly stones i will trade tarmac for that any day in fact the harder and smoother the surface the better in a way because it's like the beginner's model so for me i get people running on really smooth hard surfaces so it's easier yeah because the harder the surface the more compliant you have to become. So let's say you and I are jumping up and down and we're jumping up and down on a really hard surface. What gives, the hard surface or us? Us. Us, right? So if you jump up and down on a really rubberized floor, what gives? The rubber. The rubber, right? So then if we understand compliance and stiffness, if I jump up and down on a really hard surface, I become compliant, which means I can start to tap into the mating tendon structures and elasticity that the body possesses. If I jump up and down on really rubberized stuff, I get really stiff, so all my tendons stiffen. So all the ITB, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis issues I see come through poor posture and hard surfaces, but with rubber. So you wear rubber um, underneath your foot, hard, uh, a rubber sole underneath your foot on a hard surface. You become hard above. The floor's hard below, and it's just the shoe that gives. So you lose all the amazing tendon actions that the body possesses. And I tell you, you know, I remember as a, as a younger GP, I remember seeing problems like this coming in or plantar fasciitis and, you know, it, they'd be so frustrating because you'd send them off to physios, they'd often come back, they, 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 often it wasn't getting rid of the problem. And I felt very limited back then in terms of what I could do, whereas now I look at it completely differently. I, I, I see that as a symptom of um, the way that they're living, the shoes that they're in, the fact that they're not working their feet and their tendons in the way that they're designed to be worked. And you know, I've, there's a few exercises that Gary taught me that I, you know, which are very similar to, to, to a lot of things that you you talk about. It's just it's it's, it's the same thing really. It's just rewilding, right? And just getting yeah, them you, working back. Yeah. So at the same time, I'm not. I'm look at the end. Of, I'm not suggesting anyone goes out there and just starts running on tarmac immediately. No. You have to learn to break your feet up. So if you think if you've been if you've been in a compromising foot shape like a narrow toe box with rubber underneath it, first of all the narrow toe box will compress the toes into an unnatural position, but the rubber remember makes you more stiff, so you stiffen the foot in that position. I mean, like really stiff arches, stiff shape, and then it's the ankle that collapses because the arch can't soften. 
So every time your foot hits the floor, it's like the arch does this, ding, and then it goes boing when it comes back up again. But when the arch is rigid, it's the ankle goes ding, and then over again. So we end up this overpronated gnarly ankle experience. So firstly is to, yeah, rewild the feet. You know, there's there's loads of stuff out there. Look for toga. Just Google toga. And How do you spell that? T-O-E and then ga. Like yoga, but toga. Um, and, and then Vivo Barefoot, they've got some videos up there. And it would just give you an opportunity to play with the feet. I've got in my first week of my squat tutorial. Um, here's my sale. Here, my first week of my squat tutorial. You can. Um, there's the first week is all about rewilding feet. So there's stuff that you can be doing in there. Um, again, just get the feet out, experience them. Walk around the garden, walk around the home, whatever you can do. Break the feet up first. Um, Vivo barefoot. We've hit the nail on the head there. It just gives you the protection you need, really. But you still get the feedback. So the point is, it's a wide toe box. It's minimal. Um, there's, I mean, there's so many brands out there, but I mean, I've been coaching running and then into barefoot running for a long, long period of time. We started off with the pose method with Nicholas Romanoff. Most of the injuries we saw were knee injuries and lower back from heel striking. Born to run came out and then suddenly, bam, yeah, we were just dealing with Achilles problems because people just thought they could take their shoes off and go and run barefoot. They weren't getting it necessarily from being barefoot on hard surfaces. They were getting it because they hadn't changed their running shape. Yeah, exactly. So firstly is to just understand there's a specific posture that you have to go into when you run. So I would start to think about keeping your head, your chest, and your pelvis stacked and keep your feet underneath you. Draw a line on the ground and then try and jump on the line on the ground, flat-footed. Ding, 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 ding. Really relaxed, soft in the knees, soft even in the jaw and the shoulders wrist floppy and just try and stay really relaxed and just get a tempo going where you're just bouncing up and down don't try and land on your toes or your heels try and land flat-footed and just keep that rhythm going and then that will help you understand that there's a head chest and pelvis segment and then try and move forward as you're doing it and that's running is just a series of single-legged hops so that's teaching you to run on two feet then you lift one foot up and you hop on one leg then you're running on one leg continuously and then you do 10 of those then switch to the other leg then you can do eight eight six six two two and then go and then you're running, Re- are, running. are there videos online with this yeah stuff yeah on? so the squat tutorials going up so that'll be out i think it's we're launching it um in august yeah guys guys i'm going to link to all of this stuff in the show notes and, and then the, the show notes page for this episode is going to be drchassie.com forward slash natural lifestyle i think that's an appropriate url to to sort of get all this stuff and yeah tony's website everything that he's doing his social media handles everything we've spoken about including some of these videos i have actually one of your squat um online courses i when I, as soon as i saw you talk about it i went and bought it straight away i think it's been brilliant yeah, yeah. so i think if people do want extra guidance um and how they might start introducing these concepts into their own lifestyle. I think it's a great one. Uh, I've got to ask you, on that barefoot running, you mentioned yeah. injury before. Yeah. And what about people are saying, hey, that sounds great, but what about your feet? You know, Are you not going to start bleeding? Are you not going to start hitting rocks that are going to mean that you get injured? And obviously, you can't guarantee you're not going to get injured, but um, you feel pretty confident, don't you, that you can expose your body and the soles of your feet to this sort of um, terrain. This sort of terrain. Yeah. Like, why so, is that? So, look, we did this. The, the swim run was on this weekend, right? We arrived late because I, I was doing the tutorial on Friday. We were filming it. But then we joined on the, the Sunday. So we did the walk and we did the swim. And so everyone turned up. They had their, their, their swimsuits on, their, their shoes. shoes on. And so I turned up in my swimming shorts, right? And so I've done and no shoes and no shoes. So uh, I've done no cold, I've done cold immersion work. I've done ice baths, and so I, I, I built resilience there. But also, we're born with all the gear. We just have no idea how to use it. So people like Wim Hof has done amazing things for that, yeah. right? 
And it's the same with the feet, that once you expose yourself to nature, again, we do, shoes are it's a modern phenomenon. It's a modern thing, you know. So for 270,000 years, what were we doing? And again, we have this misconception that everything was really soft, but there's bedrock and there's all kinds of stuff that's actually more traumatizing for the feet. So my, what happens is it's called adaptation again. So the more stresses you put it under, the more we respond again. So my feet become, they've become like jelly almost. It's like a gel, almost like my own jelly pads. I've gone back to being a running animal in a way. Um, and because my posture's where it should be, it means I'm not loading for too long on the ground. In fact, I'm very light. So I often catch people by surprise when I'm out running. I'm literally behind them. I say, excuse me, and they jump out their skin. Because I say I'm nasal. I hear you. No, I'm nasal breathing. So it's not like I'm... <laughs> You know, it's all through my nose. So I'm nasal. Is your breathing. mouth shut my when mouth you walk? Shut. Yeah. So I went to the first stage was to tape it up. So I just literally just breathing and no out through the nose, um, and that just keeps me super relaxed again whilst I'm running and aerobic. So I'm not going into anaerobic stores. I'm just. I'm going to try that. You know, because I'm amazing, I've been working and, and I do the park run every Saturday morning with my son, and um, I watch how he breathes. And I I didn't know how I should be breathing, but I sort of. You know, in, in the stress solution, there's a whole chapter on breathing and I talk about the benefits of nasal breathing. And I thought, you know, I probably should be just breathing through my nose when I'm running. So I'm, I make a real effort to keep everything relaxed in my upper body and try and breathe through my nose. But I think taping up my mouth would probably be a great way of sort of enforcing that. The, the other way is to, you have to tape, you have to come back a bit. So let's say, for instance, originally I would be running, let's say I was doing 10 minute, 10, mile, 10 miles out in training. And not much concentration on nasal being just breathing. I would go in and out, nasal breathing. If I was going up here, I'd start breathing through the mouth because it was I was burning off too many stores. So what I found was my by taping up, I then went from te- I went from say eight minute miles down to ten minute miles. I thought, wow, okay, it's going to like ridiculous. What a drop! But then over time, it's just gone back up. I'm now I'm now under eight minute miles, you know, yeah. but super relaxed. And so you've, re- your body's had to adapt to and, that. But the recovery's better. So I'm I'm that's pure aerobic running then. And like you just keep pushing the aerobic threshold. So it has an overlap into many things. But as I say, like the, the feet adapt, they really do. Yeah. For me, it's, it's just been a process and the, and the feet and the posture and everything else just get stronger and stronger for it. We build more resilience. It feels like a real evolution of where you started to where you're now. You're going to do this amazing event in September 2019. Incredible. I'm, I'm interested to see what might be happening in two years or three years or five years where you may take this, you know, and uh, I don't know if you even know that at the moment. I don't think we need to I've go there. I've got a few ideas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Let's do one step at a time. Yeah. Um, Tony, I have so enjoyed chatting to you. I think... I genuinely think that the content you're putting out there is going to be so helpful. Yes, I think some people, it might be too much initially to hear it. and But I think my hope is that it just sows a seed for people. And at least they start thinking about it and going, wait a minute. Yeah, there's something in that. Maybe, maybe I'll take my shoes off now when I come home. Or maybe I'll think about how much I can squat each day. I... I, you know, I very much try and apply you, the principles I've I've read you talking about. Uh, they they really speak to me. I try my best to do that. Again, I've gone off the boil the last few months. I think this is a nice reminder for me to to get back into my morning routine of waking up my feet and getting my ankle mobility going. Mm. I'd love to finish off with take homes for people. I know we've covered quite a lot, but as a way of summarizing, this podcast is called feel better live more i genuinely have seen time and time again when people feel better in themselves they get more out of their lives and i think everything you stand for is very much a reflection of that can you leave my listeners with some of your very top tips on how they can start introducing these concepts into their life that is actually going to you know improve the way that they feel almost instantaneously 
Yeah, I think the first stage is um, like morning rituals are a great one. Literally just the moment your eyes open is to remember that we are innately wild, yeah, innately connected and innately empowered. And then I, I so I start my day with that. I, I'd recommend that. And then also gratitude and just have, you know, thanks for all those amazing beings that walk before us, you know, and just give gratitude for everything around you, um, your family, your friends, and just people that enable you to do what you do on the daily. Um, breath. You know, a breath practice. Again, I think learning a breath practice that you can just upload throughout the day is, I think it's golden really. I think because we're ramping up the stress a lot of the time and I find I've had to do a lot on social media recently. And so I just, moments, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to breath now and take it back to breath. So, so would three minutes of breathing a day be enough for someone who's never done it? Is that a good I, thing I to start with? I even think someone gave me a great tool that just check in with your breath. Just do that. Just every time you check in with your breath, put a tick in a, bu- in a book. And what does that mean, checking with your breath? Every now and then, if you catch yourself, just take an inhale through the nose, out through the mouth. Ah, okay. Back to my breath. And then that's it. Tick. And then off you go. If you have to go into a stressful situation, a meeting, start cycles of breath before you go in. Um, if you take a stressful phone call or a stressful has, a phone call has been stressful, take it back to the breath. Before eating, take it back to the breath. Um, there's up-regulating, there's down-regulating. So before sleep, again, you want to just down-regulate. So going back into parasynthetic. If it gets to, say, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and you're going through the 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock slump, it's coming in, rather than hit the caffeine, okay, um, go to breath, but charge the breath this time. So it's more like a, not you're almost on the brink of hyperventilation. You're up-regulating. So it'd be more like a... <sighs> bit more Wim Hof style. A bit Wim, Wim Hof style, yeah. or, transformational breath style just just get more oxygen on board and really upregulate the system and that's amazing so that, that's the, the breath is an amazing tool um and again movement you know just in your everyday life i think just get out try and get out to nature and move more you know i have this thing about setting timers you know average urbanite spends 90 percent of their time inside at least try and get your 10 percent you know, try and set a timer for two hours, 24 minutes and try and be outside for two hours, 24 minutes, you know, get to a local park. We're blessed in London, right? London's incredible, right? As a urban experience, because like 8 million trees, 3000 parks, right? There's 30,000 allotments and 3 million gardens, right? So really there's enough there. If you go in search of it, you can find it and get out into nature and just Nature has just the same ability to drop us into that parasynthetic state as breath work. Yeah, 100%. Even nature scenes. So, you know, have nature scenes even on your um, screensaver. Just stuff that helps you check in. There's studies that show that just looking at flick books of natural scenes drop people into a parasynthetic state. And then, again, urban settings, sympathetic state. So it's just understanding that. So if I'm in an urban environment, maybe work with a breath to keep you in a parasynthetic state. And then when you get the opportunity, you know, 10%, get to nature. You sit under a tree, read a book. You know, if you have to answer emails, even just get out get out into the park. Another nice one is to do your meetings out there. You know, there's a lot said for that. Go and, you know, set up a meeting and say, do you mind if we walk? I even set meetings up the ponds now. Right? You want to, we go to the ponds, have a dip in the water, then get out. And then we're going for a walk and we have a meeting. I would imagine those meetings are a lot more creative than had that not occurred beforehand. Oh, it's incredible, you know. It's just people are, again, people, be a surprise. Once you invite people in, 
you'll be surprised what they're open to. Because a lot of time people want this. They want to be able to become more empowered. They want to become more more wild and set that amazing macro state of well-being. They want to experience it. Sometimes they don't know how. And if you have the tools, why don't say, why don't you come with me this weekend or come out for me for a walk in the park? You yeah. know? And if you don't have a community, just build one, you know? Yeah, love it. Tony, so many great tips there. You know, as I always say to people, just even just try and choose one thing that you heard in this conversation and think, oh, let me just start there. One small thing, start there. Exactly. And, and build up. There's so much you can be doing, and but just it has to be small steps. Again, if you do too much, it's short-lived because we just get an emotional response to it. So yeah. try and steer away from that and just make it nice and calm. Don't look at me too much as an example because you might think I'm socially extreme, but it's taken me a period of time to do what I'm doing. I've done it in small steps. Yeah. You know, like sawing up my furniture is a socially extreme thing. It didn't happen overnight. It came through years and years of studying posture, <clears throat> years and years of looking at what are the natural forms, years and years of this to culminate in that one thing of me saying, right, we're ground living now. But that's yeah. the small steps that got me there. And that's the yeah. journey. And also don't ignore the journey. You know, it's all one thing. And if you see people around you doing amazing things, understand they've also had a big journey getting there. It hasn't yeah. just happened overnight. Yeah, no, I, I love that, Tony. And I think what you said about watching yourself and don't let that put people off. I, I hope when you go onto Tony's Instagram, um, I hope you'll find it inspiring. Maybe not what you are able to do right now, but it just shows you what is possible when you go through this rewilding process. Tony, thank you for uh, coming out today. Really appreciate you spending so much time with me. Good luck in September. Thanks, man. Right? I'd love everyone. Come to join me. Come join me. Hey, I'd love everyone listening to this to think about checking out the website, seeing where you're going to be, supporting it. Are, are you going to be posting on Insta stories a lot? Absolutely. Sort of There'll be some live videos going up. There's the interviews will be going up. I've got some people documenting it as well. Um, Vivo, uh, as I say, they're providing a bit of a stage, a bit of a platform through the wagon. And so, yeah, there's stuff happening around it. There's a lot of hype coming up. So, um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah. If there's room, guys, I'll join Tony. Maybe we'll do an Instagram live from one of them as well. So, um, to to, to let you guys know how it's going. Tony, thank you so much. Good luck with everything. I'll see you again soon. Been awesome. Boom. That concludes today's episode of my Feel Better Live More podcast. So, what did you think? Has this conversation challenged some of your views on what it truly means to be human? Do you agree with Tony's views or do you hold a different perspective? Some of my team who have heard the conversation have said that they really struggle to listen to it while staying sitting down. That simply listening to Tony's views encourage them to get up or even to have a go at squatting whilst listening. Whatever you think, Tony and I would love to know your thoughts. Tony is most active on Instagram at The Natural Lifestylist. And I, of course, am on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please do use the hashtag FBLM where you can so that I can easily see your comments. You can also continue the conversation about the podcast in my new Facebook group. If you go to Facebook, type in Dr. Chastity Four Pillar Community Tribe, you will see a really supportive and safe community to talk about all things health-related. I really would encourage you to get involved over there. And for those of you who want to explore Tony's ideas a little bit further, he has kindly given me a discount code for my listeners to access his online courses. If you go to vimeo.com forward slash the natural lifestylist and type in the code feel better live more 50 you will get 50% off both his running 
and his squat tutorials. If you are even remotely interested in what Tony had to say today, I would highly encourage you to try them out. I've had several one-on-one sessions with Tony and have really benefited from what we did together. If you go to the show notes page for this episode, which is drchastity.com forward slash natural lifestyle, you will be able to actually click on that link to his online courses. I've also got the discount code there for you. You'll also see everything that Tony and I spoke about, his website and other resources that I think you will find useful. You'll also get a link to my YouTube page where you can see some of what Tony and I worked on together. If you enjoyed the episode today, I would highly encourage you to check out episode 39 of my podcast, which was about how to stay pain-free with the Foot Collective. In that conversation, we talked about the importance of foot health and foot movement for our overall well-being. In our podcast today, we also mentioned Gary Ward, the chap who pretty much fixed most of my back problems. I actually spoke to Gary in episode 12 of this podcast, so again, do check it out. If you want to read the full story of how Gary helped me get to the root cause of my back pain, I explain this in full in my first book, The Four Pillar Plan. Many of the exercises that we did together are detailed in that book. And I have to say, so many of you have been in touch with me since that book came out to say that those four exercises, which take a maximum of five minutes to do, have really helped you with your back pain as well as your hip pain. So it's just great to see that the exercises that helped me have also helped so many others. So if you or someone you know may benefit, I would highly encourage you to check out uh, my first book, The Four Pillar Plan. Just a quick reminder that this book was also released in the US and Canada with a different title, How to Make Disease Disappear. A quick reminder that my latest book, The Stress Solution, Four Steps to a Calmer, Happier You, is available to buy all over the world now. In that book, I tried really hard to explain clearly what stress is, where it lives, and most importantly, what you can actually do about it. It's a great tool for pretty much all of us who live in the modern world. Whether you think you're stressed or not, if you feel overwhelmed, if you struggle with your mental health, I think this book is a great resource. You can pick it up in paperback, ebook, or as an audiobook, which I am narrating. If you enjoy my weekly shows, please do consider supporting them by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. You can also help me spread the word by taking a screenshot right now and sharing with your friends and family on your social media channels. Or you can simply do it the good old-fashioned way and tell your friends about the show. I really do appreciate your support. A big thank you to Richard Hughes for editing and Vidanta Chastity for producing this week's podcast. That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure that you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back in one week's time with my latest episode. Remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle changes is always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time.